Hey there, I'm Evan DeWald and I'm joined by Tara Lindsley and this is Unpacked. We're unpacking life as messy people. So here, we do the things that we do the best. We tell stories and we share life with each other. Sometimes life gets big and messy and full of failure and vulnerable moments, but we believe that sharing those things together helps us all to grow. So have a listen. Make sure to like and subscribe. Hey Tara, this week we are talking to Dr. Tachilla. Yeah, MZ is a good friend of ours. He's a local doctor here in Chestermere and he's a dad and a husband and a podcaster too. Yeah, it's going to be fun and um, he's going to share a little bit uh, about his passion for serving people, uh, a little bit of his experience in immigrating to Canada. He's, He's from South Africa and he's going to tell us a little bit about his podcast called Conversations for Connections. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting podcast. It's just really about lessons in life. And he's been doing a whole series on friendship, which has been really yeah, great. It's been awesome. And honestly, I didn't know some of the stories and some of the things he told us in the podcast. So yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to people getting to know him a little bit. Hey, uh, thanks so much for following the podcast and enjoy. Before we jump into all these things, <laughs> mm-hmm. how are you? How are you doing? I am I, good. I haven't seen you in so long. It's like <laughs> the, uh, the pastor yeah. part of me wants to find out how you're actually doing. And then, of course, I want to do the podcasting part too, but to do it like this, maybe I should introduce you. <laughs> and the, the, here's the good part. You'll, you'll find, I'm not sure how you do yours, but I am totally random and all over the place. And then I expect Tara to edit it into a nice, beautiful package that makes us all sound really organized and really succinct. I'll start like this. I am so glad that you've decided to join us. And most people know you as Dr. Tashila, right? Say this for me. Chachela. So it's a true sound, Chachela. Chachela. So, so, mm-hmm. so glad that you've decided to join us. And then, uh, except I know you as MZ. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm hoping we can use today because that's who I know. Yeah, MZ is, is good. And a lot of what we want to talk to you about today is kind of hearing a little bit of your story. I think stories clarify, stories help people understand who, who we're hearing. And, and I think it's one of the ways that we identify with each other in, in the context of just good, healthy relationships. So podcast listeners will not be able to see you and they may not be able to identify your accent. So can you tell us a little bit just about who you are? You know, what was life like growing up? All right. Thank you so much for having me. So my full name is Zigai Sechachela. The Kosa name uh, from South Africa. And uh, what it really means is my father's house. So in our language, Kosa, which is the language that uh, Nelson Mandela spoke, most names have to have a meaning. And 
it can be just a meaning of something that made sense to your parents at that time or something they had hoped for. So there's a lot that's in a name. So when we say there's, there's value in, in a name, I know that in my, in my culture, it is Somzigaise, which uh, is shortened to Mzi. So Mzigaise, Mzi means a home or someone's place of dwelling. And Gaise, uh, so means of, of his father. So home of his father. His father. So, and that can mean a lot of things, right? Depending on what was going through my my dad's head. I'm the I'm the only son, surprisingly, with that name. <laughs> I have three sisters, and we grew up in in the rural Transkei. So that's the villages. And when I say villages, it's not like here. I think it's a village because of the size. Right. If it's a, mm-hmm. if you have a certain number, then it's classified as a as a hamlet, then a village, then a town, and a city. Right. But for us, it was more of an infrastructure thing. Right. So you find that in the villages, there's basically not much infrastructure. Uh, we grew up with no running water, no electricity, and I'm telling this uh, just to give background not mm-hmm. for pity <laughs> because i had quite a quite a good life actually so so grew up in a village very simple life raised by my mom and my dad but my dad was a migrant worker so in south africa south africa you know how the whole industrial revolution that started it was because of the minerals the gold the diamond and all that and the people who worked there were the black men from the homelands, which are similar to Canadian reservations. And I was surprised when I came here that the homeland system in South Africa was actually um, copied from Canada, or there's some similarities uh, between uh, the Canadian reservations and the South African homelands, So, which is where I grew up. And that is all I knew. And, And life was very good. My mom... And my sisters, and we would see my dad maybe once a year or twice a year if we were lucky. And that was normal for us. And it would be so exciting when my dad comes, he would like buy us clothes, Christmas clothes. That was the biggest time in Christmas. They would bring us new clothes and shoes. And that was the time where you expect new clothes. And during the year, really, you don't expect that. Um, yes, you would get school uniforms. Sometimes you'd have to choose whether the shoes you are getting for Christmas are the ones you're going to wear for school from January on because our year starts in January, right? It's not like here in North America. So it starts in summer, just like here, but our summer is in January. So yeah, it would be exciting to see my dad. And, uh, he would also bring like treats, like sweet chocolates and all that because all those things were, were treats for us. And you know, the amazing thing, so when I look back is, I've gone through all this. I'll I'll tell you the story. But one thing that I've always had, and even right now where I am, I always had this knowing or this peace in my heart that life is good as it is and I am going to do well. I have everything that I need. So I never panicked. And I think that even protected me from like peer pressure and all that. It wasn't so easy to compare yourself with other people when you meet them. Uh, when you are growing up, and apparently even when at our age, this age, there's still pressures, people competing and wanting to be better than the other person in terms of material things and all that, or experiences. 
but I've always, always, always had the, yes, I, I, I just knew in my heart, and I say it's God, just left that in me. I knew that my life was not going to end where I was. I had these big dreams, and my dreams actually didn't have names. I knew there was this big experience in life that I will have, but I didn't have a label for each. And I'm not the kind of a person who says in five years' time, I will see myself as, in 10 years' time, I'll see as, but I do work, I do my work. Like if I go to school, I give it my best. If there's opportunities that align with what I have, I go for them. And it's kind of like my life has always been directed in a way and it was very profound and just very I had this piece of knowing uh, such that you know I went I was in the village doing uh, from grade one to grade grade nine and then from grade 10 to grade 12 I went to boarding school and of course you met a lot of kids from different backgrounds different class classes you know in terms of like Maybe the wealthy yeah, and, yeah. and all that. upper class, middle class, yeah, upper, yeah. exactly. I so, and even at that time, there was, you know, there was a lot of pressure for people to fit in. So, when it comes to peer pressure, when people talk about that, I feel like I do not know what that is because <laughs> I've always been so content with what I had because I knew that what I see now is not does not define me. To a point that even now that I am a physician, that doesn't define me. It's just a small part of who I am. I think God created us to be bigger than our professions, our roles in society and all that. Mm-hmm. So, and I think as well, you know, my, my mom spent a lot of time just teaching us. She would be dropping all these lessons. And, and for me, the greatest blessing is my grandfather was my mom's dad loved education. And mm-hmm. for us, growing in the village, especially at that time, was what we were told was that, you know, if you want to be anything, put effort on your education. So by default, school was a very important part of our, in our, in our generation that time. And there was, when it comes to careers, you know, we were focusing on the mainstream careers. Uh, Nothing, you know, like now people can have a career on social media, you know, all those things. Weird. Yeah. (laughs) What a strange job. You don't have a profession working on Facebook. And make a living, right? That's That's what they do. But for us, they did say, go to school. Sometimes, even if you don't know what you will be, um, you will be doing, um, you will figure it out then, mm-hmm. you know, but school, the school is the foundation. So, of course, one of the biggest challenges in South Africa was the school system was divided as well, because um, mm-hmm. also there was that racial segregation. So there was a ban to education system, and then there was Caucasian community, there was their system, which was the main education system, comparable to the to the English system, right? So of course we you grew up and did the best with all those limitations in place. And despite all that, I don't remember panicking about it. As you're talking, what I hear is that this is like faith. 
that you have, you know, you know, the Bible sometimes talks about that some people have the gift of faith. Like it's a gift, like it's just easy to believe. Other people don't. They have to work out their faith. I love it when I hear people who have this, this sense like from early childhood that they that God was just taking care of them and they were going to be okay. And, they, and not only do be okay, but actually do really well. To me, I find that fascinating because it's not something I've, I've experienced really in my own journey. I feel like, no, if, if Evan doesn't work hard, I've often wondered, is that a faith question for me? So I, I, I love hearing that. So I'm curious, you said you had three sisters. So I, I have a couple of questions from what you've shared. Are they older or younger? Like, where are you in the order? Okay, so I am the second child. Okay, so you're second oldest. No, yeah, I'm the second oldest. So we're three for the longest time, and then uh, 14 years after me, we're the youngest sister. So, well, 14 years from me, but uh, 11 years from my youngest sister. So, uh, so we are four, and they are all in South Africa. So I have three sisters too. That's why I asked the question, because so we kind of have that in mm-hmm. common. I'm not, I'm the third third one um my other my other question for you and you kind of alluded to this a little bit but obviously i'm fascinated by the whole south african story i'm curious how did your how did your mom talk to you about the divide between white people and was she did she speak positively about that was that like how did she teach you how to be so gentle that's what I, I, that's actually what I want to ask because one of the things I see in you, you're probably one of the most intelligent people I know. You have a gentleness about you that is really quite remarkable. So I'm wondering, did did your mom teach you that? Yeah. So so I think um, you know I was I was uh, there was something I was studying about. Um, I think in one of the topics I was, I was discussing, just doing research, was just going on about how. Some skills we acquire by by intentionally working on them, but some things they just go with a personality. Something I was born with, really, I do not panic, and not because I have everything figured out. Actually, I love uncertainty, you know? I don't like to know everything because I get overwhelmed. It's nice to have an area that I don't know. <laughs> you know, you can have a personality, but if you don't, do the work in terms of how you relate to people around you, how you, you know, how you respond to the environment around you, then of course it's not going to work all the time. Uh, and then when it comes to the whole issue of race in South Africa, I actually spoke to a few South Africans here and they, they were saying, you know, people who grew up in the villages were less exposed to, to, to the harsh realities of um, racial segregation in terms of the mm-hmm. violence being shot at and all, you know, all those things. But in terms of resources, certainly there was, there was a huge, huge lack of those compared to people who were close to the city. So being away from the city, being in a homeland there, kind of that's what we knew. And we knew there was a world somewhere by listening to the radio. There was not much TV at that time. Early 90s, TV was only a few people I remember that had TV. So we knew by listening to the radio that, okay, this is happening. This is what's happening. But really, our day-to-day life was just about, you know, doing your day-to-day job to 
to, to go into the field, most of the time it was just as expected and it was normal for us. And I still feel like I can do it to this day. Yeah. So, so the whole thing about racial divide, I do not remember sitting on, my, on the table and my mom talking about that divide. And I think as well, it was a blessing in disguise. It was when I finally went to university and see all that, I never walked around with the sense of, you know, I've been oppressed, I've been, you know, denied opportunities. I was ready for something new. Uh, to go to the next stage of my life, and I embraced actually the the diversity that I realized at university. And when I saw someone who had something better than what I had, for me that even to this day was an inspiration. I was like, oh wow, I didn't know that you could have one, two, three, four at a certain age. So that means maybe when I get to that age, I might, if if things work or it's possible. Uh, so it was mm-hmm. it's always it was an inspiration. So when I was finally exposed to people who really experienced like the harsh realities of that in terms of the violent experiences, I didn't go in with the, with that mentality that you know I'm oppressed, I'm in Syria, I'm all that. I was there showing up at, with my strengths and with what I knew I was bringing, and I I knew that being at university I was not made a favor. I belonged there. I deserved to be there at that time. That was the opportunity I was given. So so there was that security. For me, I think even to this day, when we talk about all this, uh, the, 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 race, the race issues, I think it goes deep to what are you talking to your kids with when you are having supper, when you are having, when you are having, you know, when you are just in the house, when you see something in the news, do you make a do you make a a statement that you wouldn't say in public? Because kids are listening, right, and they're absorbing all that. And for me, having my parents not even mentioning that, because I think maybe I, I don't know what it would have been if I walked around with that sense. You know, for me, it was a blessing in disguise. Because when I got to understand it, I got to understand it my way at my own pace. Yeah. Yeah. And you were old enough to even grasp probably the severity of it, but also that maybe the gift of not having to have to experience it so young. So you go off to university and so did you know you wanted to be a doctor when you went to university or did you go to go to school and just discover that along the way? Or what did what did a calling to become a doctor look like for you? So for me, going to university was not about uh, discovering my calling, or it was not. It's just um, I knew I had the academic ability, and I was like, you know what? Um, I think I'll choose one, two, three, four. And I laugh when I look back because I did not really realize how serious the decision was. And I remember the whole issue about being a doctor, I remember very well walking into my grandmother's. She had like a small rural store, but I didn't live with 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 her. So she had her own life uh, outside my my our life uh, as my family. But I remember seeing her, and really, she was not one. Uh, you know, she wouldn't talk about such things, but. She was like, oh, I think you could make a good doctor, like out of the blue. And I was like, really? And I didn't 
pay any attention to it. I was still like in, I think, primary or junior school at that time. And of course, I got to discover many things when I was going to high school that, okay, there's commerce, there's this, there's this. Remember, I had told you that there was a Bantu system, Bantu education system. And you find that even the career options that we were exposed to were not much. Of course, we did have doctors, have nurses and all that, but we never knew that there was a lot of other things. So when I got to, to high school, the blessing was that our school had a career advisor. So by when you do grade 12, they ask you in a form, what do you want to study after grade 12? So I wrote, I want to do medicine. Wrote it there. And then they filed that, of course. I think by beginning of grade 12, they came and asked me what do you did it for everyone. But I remember I had discovered commerce and I thought, I love maths. I will do um, actuarial science. It was a new field to me and, and exciting. The advisor was like, okay, go back. Uh, here's your file. Why did you say this? And then it was at that time that I examined that really being a doctor, maybe I would have thought about it. And I think I, it's something I would love to do. But being uh, doing actuarial science or something else, it was more of an exploration. I wanted to explore. I had never done accounting and all that, but you know, I was like, I'll do it. Because they, they had accept, accepted me for both. But anyway, I remember writing and like, no, my first choice is medicine and they took me in. So there was never a big moment that something major happened that inspired me to become a doctor. And when I was at university, I realized, hmm, even the university I went to, to me, it was just normal that, okay, grade 12 university, you got the marks, you go in there. I didn't realize how big of how it, it was quite a big deal. But for me, it was just life. And again, that thing of saying, you know, I knew something like this was going to come, you know, I, I, I like it, but it's not, I will not make it a, such a big deal. But people just were like, you know, man, coming to this university is a big deal. Not a lot of people go in here. And then that kind of opened my eyes. And um, even with medicine, you know, now when you go to, lect to lectures, like, okay, now I'm no longer just learning to pass. This is something that I am being prepared to have a big responsibility. So it changes. You are not just studying to perform, but now you are thinking, okay, I have to understand this concept. And I remember end of sixth year, because our undergraduate education for medicine is six years. And I remember I was so scared. I'm like, hmm, the more I get into medicine, the, the, the more, the deeper it actually, I see the depth of it and it scares me. And I wonder if I, wonder if I will do a good job. But again, I had to take myself back saying, you have not come here by chance. And no one has, you have not come to this year, the final year by chance. No one has done you favors. You have demonstrated that you know you have the skill, so go for it. You know, and that's those moments that force you to step up and go in, even if you feel like sometimes you are you are not very certain. Like as I said, I've learned to 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 embrace uncertainty. I don't have to know the details or see the whole staircase for me to believe that yes, 
there is another floor there. So that was the moment. And, you know, by the time I finished med school, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Another thing in my life is wherever I am, I find joy. And that is what has, what has uh, one of the things that I thank God for, because I don't know where it comes from. So it didn't matter if they put me in gynecology, put me in orthopedics or surgery. Yes, of course, you'll be like, oh, maybe I don't like the specialty and all that. And you're like, okay, I will, I'm not going to waste my time. I have to find joy and be good at what I'm doing because this is what is required of me. I just see a glimpse of something and then I just take it and go with it. Uh, so I think also decide, deciding to do family medicine was, was that, um, you know, I was like, I enjoy this and I, I enjoy people. <laughs> That's another thing. I really, I really enjoy uh, uh, social interactions or connections. Um, hence, with my podcast, yeah, it's something that I've always had because I'm like, you know, you you get to learn a lot from people from just connecting with them, and connecting with them is to go beyond the small talk, to be willing to open up. So, so for medicine. In medicine, in family medicine, I had that. And it was such a joy to meet different people, different ages and all that, you know, and you sometimes you don't know what's next. You know, if I'm, if I'm an, let's say, ear, nose, throat specialist, I know I'm going to be looking at ears, nose, and throat all day, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you're, doing, if you're doing family medicine or emergency medicine, you don't know what's going to come in. And you, you just have to, to go with it again, which is what my life has been. It's like, you know. You never know what to expect. And that, that includes like going to parties too. You know, when you're at a party and somebody's like, hey, doc, I, can you look at this? I got this thing. <laughs> that is actually one of the interesting things that I, I find is like, I think for doctors, there, there are some careers that on so many way, in so many ways, your identity it's hard to separate your identity sometimes from your occupation. Like ministry, pastoral ministry is a hundred, it's absolutely like that. Oftentimes, and I, I have struggled with it over the years of, uh, as a pastor. I, I don't always know when I'm just being the friend Evan hanging out in the backyard and when I'm being pastor Evan and when somebody is expecting me to be a certain, a certain way. And so I don't, I don't always, I'm getting better at it, but I, everywhere I go, I am pastor Evan. And also everywhere I go, I'm also Evan. And I think that's similar for doctors that it, that it is one of those things that it, because it's a, it's a bit of a calling. Is that something that you've loved to embrace or, or are there places where you just want to go and be the doctor and you don't want people to know who you are and what you're about and and are there places where you go and you just go if everyone could just forget i'm a doctor and just treat me like mz that would be great so that's that's actually an issue that i think we as you said you deal with and as, as doctors we deal with as well for me i've come i think early on i've i've always known that i want to be known as mz as I said, being a doctor is only this much of my life. I believe that who I was made to be is bigger than my profession. It doesn't matter how much the profession takes of me, but I am bigger than that. 
And if people focus and look at me through that lens only, they are missing a bigger picture. I've told people that, you know, when I step out of my office, I leave that title there. Because what I've seen is people, yes, will, will call you doctor, but what, what that does to them, it also limits how far they're going to go with you, how much connection they're going to allow between the two of you. So it limits you from, from forming, um, you know, truly equal relationships. You know, when you say you have uh, any social interaction, for it to be great, and uh, especially if it's social, you are friends, there has to be that equality of power. But if you start now bringing titles and all that, then they are putting themselves in a certain position relative to what they think a doctor is. So yeah, for me, I, I, I always strive for the separation of, of that title from me because I believe it's just a part of who I am. It doesn't yeah. define me. Yeah, that's so, that's so interesting because like I, I actually didn't call myself Pastor Evan until I came here to Lake Ridge and became a lead pastor. And the only mm-hmm. reason why I did it was because I felt like people were telling me that that's what I needed to do. But when I was a youth pastor for, you know, 16 years before that, I, I was, I would tell kids, you know, I'm Evan. You just call me Evan. That's fine. You still do that. <laughs> yeah, I still do that. I still say that. Sometimes a conservative family would come to church and, and they would tell their teenagers, you know, this is Pastor Evan and you'll call him Pastor Evan. And then, mm-hmm. I, and I would even hear them say that. And I, even I would tell the parents, no, no, I go by Evan because there's so much more to me than just this. And when you add the pastor role, that, that name pastor, it's like people think you have God figured out and you have your life figured out exactly. and you have like everything. <laughs> exactly. Right. And you don't have any fears and you, you have just total faith and trust and all these things. Mm-hmm. It, it was a stereotype that I still am not. I still don't have everything all figured out. I still don't believe I know the Bible inside and out. I still mm-hmm. struggle with my own fears and my own doubts and my own things, right? And and so I really love that you're saying, no, no, I want to be MZ everywhere. But I, I love that. And, and I think I think you do a good job of that too. So I have a question for you guys. Earlier, you were saying about fitting in in school. And then when you got to university, you felt like you had a sense of belonging. Can you talk about the difference for that in you or the definitions maybe in school, you weren't concerned about fitting in with other kids or that they, that part of you. And then as you got older, you mentioned that in university, you felt like, no, I belong here. Is there a difference between those two things for you, belonging and fitting in? Yeah. So uh, I think fitting in is you try to change who you are, right? So that you'll be accepted. But belonging is now you've come to understand who you are and you are not apologetic about who you are, but know that you are worthy of being where you find yourself Mm -hmm. to be. So don't doubt yourself. Don't minimize your achievements as well. You know, not everyone is going to like you. Uh, You will be different because you you were made to be different. But you have that sense of belonging that, you know, I am here different. I'm bringing something of value. And that something of value will not be appreciated by everyone. And it's okay. Mm. So, so you don't feel out of place because you are different. You embrace that actually what makes the life 
more exciting is the differences we have. It's interesting because even as you're, I, I 100% agree with you that fitting in is like, it, it has to do with assimilating to whatever environment mm-hmm. you're in. And belonging has, has to do with knowing who you are. Even as you were talking, I was thinking in a lot of ways, both of those are internal things. So in other words, having a sense of belonging isn't, isn't as much about the environment you're in as much as who you have come to know as you are. Whereas, you know, fitting in is, you know, is a challenging thing for me. I, for me, it was when I was in high school, I, I, I struggled really hard to figure out how to fit in. And, and I think I gave up a lot of me. Now, when you understand, you get to reclaim that. Well, that's how I felt that, of course, you know, we all have the, the desire to, to be liked or to be loved, you know, human beings, you know. And of course, when I talk about love, I'm not talking about romantic love. You know, you want mm-hmm. to be liked. It's nice to know that people like you. But now, when you get to belonging, you're saying you realize that as, in, as, in, as important as it is to know that you are like, that should not be your life life. Mm-hmm. So if it happens, you are happy that it happens. But if it does not happen, you'll just be fine. There will be people who are, who your people, I call it your people, people will align with you and who you are. And they will always be there. I, I, I believe everyone has a connection somewhere. There will be people who will connect you. And I think it's also a blessing in disguise that you're not going to connect with everyone. You're not going to have the energy to, you know, to be available for all these people, right? Yeah. So, you know, for you to flourish as a human being, you'll attract those people. Mm-hmm. You know, people who will know, okay, Evan is different, but, you know, I'll stick with him and because I can learn this and I think he can learn this from me. But people who are not made for you, they look at you and you, you just irritate them or you bore them, right? Those are not for you. And you know you cannot force that. It has mm-hmm. to come mm-hmm, from within. Yeah, and I, I would even say, like add to what you're saying is like having a deep sense of belonging and finding a community of your people. When you have a deep sense of belonging, you don't even have to agree with your people on everything, right? It's like exactly. you can have disagreement and still look across the table or the, you know, the yard or the deck or wherever it is you're visiting and go, yeah, mm-hmm. we're still okay. We're still, you're still my people, even though we disagree. There's just something so much deeper than we all agree and we all fit in and we all follow the same stereotypes and choose choose to only talk about these topics and not about these topics, right? Like, it's like, cause that, that's the fitting in parties. You go, what can I talk about? What can't I talk about? You know, mm-hmm. if I talk about this, are people going to reject me? And it, and it, and it is destroying you. It, it robs mm-hmm. from you what God actually made you to be. So, so interesting. Oh, th- that's a good mm-hmm. question, Tara. Hey, um, so you come to Canada. I, I, Super interested to hear a little bit about your story of like, you come to Canada, you, you ended up, where did you first, you were the first place you were a doctor, was it in Saskatchewan or was it? Yes, I was in Saskatchewan for six years. It was a place called Turtle Ford. Yeah. So 
you're in South Africa, you're finishing up your, your medical schooling, and you, you decide one day, I'm going to move to Turtleford, Saskatchewan. So for me, I, am, I'm, I call myself very adventurous. And uh, I think uh, being impressionable kind of left me way back because I say I've, I've lived, you can put me in a shack, I'll be fine. And put me in a penthouse, I've seen both of them and none of them get to my head. So being in a shack does not make me feel limited and being in, you know, in a penthouse does not make me feel too important. It's all here. It's all what I want to do and what I think I can try. Of course, you try other things that don't happen. Normal part of life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, failure is part of our existence, you know? So coming to Canada again, if you remember, I said my life kind of unfolds in terms of few steps ahead of me. And um, when I finished medical school, there was no plan to come to Canada. And my life in my head was shaped um, in South Africa. I think in our class, the biggest thing was you finish medical school, you do your three years, which is internship and community service, which is the supervised practicing, like being a resident. And then after that, it's either you choose then to practice as a generalist, or you go and specialize. And most of us were under this impression that we will, we will take a specialty on this or that. And there was a thing that most people, after they get the full license, which is the independent practice, they would spend a year or two abroad and then come back and specialize. So that's what I thought I was doing as well. And, and I was so happy in saying, you know what, I actually don't even know what I want to specialize on. I will just go with the with general practice and, and go where I'm needed. And coming to Canada, for me, I, I don't know how much I did. All I did was um, I, I produced my qualifications, wrote the exams I had to write, and the rest was handled by someone they hired. So it was not a big effort in terms of the logistics and all that. And um, so I came to Canada. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know much about Canada as well. And the only way I, I knew about this, I met someone while I was doing internship. And I think from talking, and she just mentioned she's, she's going to Canada. I was like, what? What's happening there? And another thing, actually, what, when I grew up was... Um, as in my family, we had never gone to a family holiday. Traveling was not a thing. We just couldn't afford it. So it was not even a thing. You didn't worry about it. Uh, so it was not a big deal. But going to Johannesburg, which is a big city in South Africa, I only did that after finishing uh, medical school. That's a big city. So traveling was not. So in my head, I always said, you know, once I finish working, I hope I will I will travel, just get to see the world beyond what I know and come back home. So when I saw that, okay, it's possible to, people went to England, Australia, uh, New Zealand, I think there are three other Commonwealth countries that recognized South Africa and Canada was one of them. And I think for me, I was so curious to, when I read about Canada, that it gets to minus 40 and people live there. I was like, I want to experience that for once in my life. And then I can tell a story. (laughs) 
So funny enough, that was the main one of the main things that that brought me here. And I didn't know much about the Canadian culture, but I loved it so much when I came. You know, um, I love the culture of, you know, how polite everyone is. Though sometimes I found that, you know, the politeness can be, people don't get to voice their true feelings. And, and it kind of, it can, it can interfere with the authenticity of connection sometimes. Because, you know, you want someone to be real with you, even if they are, you know, if you, you offend them, you want them to say it in your face. But that's not the culture here, right? <laughs> So, so you have to tread carefully, right? That's one of the soft skills that I had to learn. Was mostly in South Africa. If if you say something I don't like, I will tell you before we leave it. Not even me fighting, but I will let you know that you know what I didn't like one, two, three, four. So for me, being in a city and all that was I was never like the dream. You know, I lived in a village. I lived in Cape Town, a big city. Of course, I was. I never went to Joburg, but because nothing, I had no business there and I had no travel. There. But, you know, I had seen it all kind of. So small town in Saskatchewan was just another part of the journey. Okay. How interesting is that? And so now that you, so I'm assuming that first winter you experienced minus 40. And <laughs> so it was probably time to go back right like it's be like i'm never want to experience minus 40 again <laughs> no no you know the curiosity carried on because i was also fascinated by the preparation that okay you have to get winter boots you have to get winter jackets you have to you know all that a shovel a shovel, <laughs> a shovel yeah <laughs> and other things i had to learn was i had traveled a few trips Without having, apparently, you had to have an emergency kit in terms of you if you hit the ditch and you are stuck there. So, so yeah, that was the same thing when I came to uh, Terrelford. I was just excited. It was a new uh, experience. And then uh, I think eventually came a time where when I looked back and... You know, years just keep going and you're wondering, do you want to continue staying or do you want to go back and start afresh there? And and of course, having seen the differences between South Africa and, and Canada and all that. But I think just to the summary of everything, the experience, I just decided, okay, you know, I I'm fully qualified to be here. And, and again, that sense of belonging, I didn't feel like I am an outsider anymore. Of course, as I said, not everyone will like you. That's normal. It happens even in South Africa, right? Same thing would happen. Like, it's my choice whether I stay or I leave. I'm not going to leave because there's something I don't like. Or, you know, because I always feel like if you run from one thing somewhere, it's waiting for you. You know, you have to know that even if you are put in the same environment, in a different place, you will thrive and be fine. So I made the decision to stay. I, I enjoyed uh, practicing medicine. I enjoyed Canada as a country and the people as well. I love that. So I think you've answered some of it. Like we asked about, you know, who's been important in your life, who's encouraged you you know, I've heard, I've heard some themes. It's, it does sound to me like your grand, your grandparents, grandmother, grandmother was pretty important. Obviously your mom raised you. Who are other people along the way that just said, no, look here, you, you got something here. Like, 
so so i will i think i will i will try to to give you a, um, maybe just take the chronologically yes of course my mom and uh, my, my mom and my dad and my grandparents were were very encouraging and i think as well you know when you grow in a village it's um you have your aunt your uncles and it's, if your mom is not there or your dad is is not there they kind of assume a role at that time you know you never feel like you are alone in terms of you don't feel stranded which was the social cushioning that we had growing up in in the village but one of the things at at school i think um the teachers were very, very supportive. I spoke about how they guided us, like in terms of encouraging us to make up our minds that this is what you want and remind you, give you time to think about it. So, and they were very supportive. And specifically for me, my dad passed away in 2001. I was doing grade 11. Of course, that was, it was the breadwinner and that just, you know, changed everything for us was we were doing fine with the minimum we have and then now the the list we had didn't was not there of course my grandparents and family helped us we were okay but now they're really tough going uh to you know traveling to cape town i remember my teachers they like kind of put money together they're like here you go you know you have to go to school because you had good marks you go you know we'll do anything so they were very supportive, and that's just one of the things, the financial part. But throughout high school, I felt quite supported. And at university, <laughs> this is very interesting. Some of my friends, uh, I have I have a friend here, uh, and it's interesting because she's a girl and I'm a, I'm a guy, and for some reason we just um, she was she just took interest in me. As, um, she was a few years older than me, and she just just fascinated by my story, and I was fascinated by her story because we kind of lived completely different sto- like lives while we're in South Africa. She got me like I remember visiting her family, and her family kind of took me under their wing, and they were helping me with university stuff, you know, the day to day things, you know. And mm-hmm. and I felt I had a family there. And this friend of mine was a Caucasian lady. And, you know, it, that also instilled in me that, you know, there are people who like you for who you are, not because of your, of your, your status, not because of your color, not if they are your people, they will, yeah, you will find them or they will find you. Mm-hmm. And to this day, uh, I hold them in high regard, you know, and it, 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 it was actually one of the life-changing experiences. My university experience, I think, was great because I had her and her family in my life. They were kind of like my family away from, from mm-hmm. home. So mm-hmm. I started visiting, and when I studied, uh, what, you know, when you're studying, medical school has like, you know, you have crazy books to read. And to a point, you know, sometimes you find that even living in, in, in residence, in, in the in res, it's just sometimes you need the support, like of being with a family. And I would go and spend time there and just focus on studying. So that was the greatest, greatest blessing. I think um, in, among the people who supported me 
and added value in my life uh, Trisha and and her family uh, they played a big big role and I remember even when we went when my parents ha- my mom had to come down for my graduation we stayed with them they hosted my mom and and it was just more than the hosting there was that sense that we are we are one and it all it was there from the moment we got to know each other and and it was just amazing and um so so really when i look in my look back in my life i've people have given so much to me and and i know value in doing this and i believe we pay for it so I, I'm always, always looking for giving and, you know, making a difference, no, no matter how small in, in other people's lives, uh, I think is a very big thing. And I think we can have a better society if all of us would just do a little bit here, a little bit there. You never know what that will. For me, it was a life changing. I think it just, if I was going the right, uh, in a certain direction, it just kept propelling me even further. Yeah. Oh, well, as I'm listening to you talk, what I what I heard was really a a, a whole community of people. Hmm. Yeah. I, and I can say that purely, I am made of the community. It, it's interesting. Like when I listen to your story, and I, you definitely have the gift of positivity. And right. And, and like you said earlier, you've always been, no matter what, you know, field you're working in or learning about or whatever, you've been able to experience joy. And I, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. But I also know that in order to experience joy, we, we, we have to make our way through some struggles and some challenges and, and some of those kinds of things. And so if you were to put a theme to some of the things that you've had to wrestle with in your life and your story. What have been themes of challenges for you? Like, what's been hard? So for me, the biggest thing uh, I remember growing up, as I, as I say, that sense of fitting in, you know, even in the village, mm-hmm. actually, I, and you know, that's what made it even easy for me to say, actually, my life will not end up here. I love this place, but this is not my, this is what, not what will define me. I have the academic gift, but I have, when it comes to physical abilities, like I was never a good sports person. I was never, you know, I, was, I never excelled in anything that was physical. And sometimes that would be re- uh, regarded as, as a form of weakness. And I'll, I just focused on what I knew that, okay, I have an academic ability. I will just focus on this. And it was not always popular. Right, so that sense of belonging sometimes was was challenged, and as, and as a young as, as a child, uh, you know your parents protect you, but sometimes the damage is done outside. In my life, I look back, I'm like, I know how it is not to fit in, but now I've come to understand who I am and the value of who I am, and I'm just fine. Uh, but high school things were starting to get better. And also just becoming a Christian, I had a certain way now of looking at myself that actually God regards me as, you know, loves me. So your name means a home for your father? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I, I, 
this is this is why I bring it up because like as you're talking about that and you're talking about how your faith uh, gave you a, a confidence in who you were, whether your physical abilities, you know, to play sports or all those things was enough for the community. Who you were was enough for God, and He chose to make a home in you, in Mzi. Oh, love that. Thank you so much for that. And one of the things now, when you get to to be exposed to new fields, new experiences, new environments, like going to university, having to use English as your, you know, as your main language of, you know, your, your main communication language, it was very easy to doubt yourself in terms of, okay, I'm from the village, um, of course, I was taught the grammar, but I will never sound like everyone. Those things make you very insecure. Sometimes uh, there would be times I would go write a test and only to understand, only to figure out that actually there was one big word they used and I understood it the wrong way. You know, have those moments of insecurities, but again, you have to do that work to say, you know, you're not here by chance. So for me, I think that was the main thing. And as a result, and I was trying to find out why connection for me is so important with people. I feel like maybe in my life, I missed out on a lot of connections. I, I, I felt that way because, you know, you didn't really fit here and there. So I value relationships. I value friendships. And I think that's a good thing. But now I've learned to know that friendships are important but they are just a part of life. So connections with people are important, but they are not your lifeline. Because when I look back, I look at my village, I love it, but I know it's not for me. And that kind of pushes me to explore, to explore the world, not from a point of being bitter, but from a point of knowing that, okay, you know, I have, I have been in this place and I know what it is. But when I go, I still go back home. I enjoy enjoy home, but I just know that is not, it, it doesn't define me. But it's part of my story. It's part of my life. And, uh, and I love it. But it had lots of good with it. And of course, there were some experiences that were not so great. So, so for me, I think the biggest struggle was that and but it has helped me now. I am able to step in in new territories, new environments, and I walk in there unap- unapologetically, and I do what I am. I have been called to do mm. there. Yeah, I love that. Hey, so so you've referred to it, and I think maybe you just answered the question a little bit. But I I just love to hear you just tell us. So you start this podcast, Conversations for Connection. What was really the drive? Like, you've got lots of things going on in your life, right? You got two little kids, you got a wife, you got you're, you got a practice, you're doing some fill-in and some emergency rooms around mm-hmm. the province, from what I understand. Why a podcast about conversations for connection? Mm-hmm. So it goes way back. I was always fascinated by the radio. I think a part of that is that it was the main uh, form of um, media that we had in the villages. That's all we had, right? There was no TV and TV started coming on as people could afford them. Of course, there was TV already around the world and in the in the bigger South Africa. 
which is not in the homelands, or even in the homelands in the towns, people who lived in the towns, they did have TV, but we did not have that until much later. So radio was the main thing, and people talk, and people just connect. For me, that was the thing. You like you have all these people who don't know each other. They talk about topics that you never thought you would look at those things the other way. It made, it made you think. Mm. You know, it kind of stimulated your brain. Mm. And on top of that, it served you. It gave you information that will help you. And I've always had this dream that, you know, I'll be on radio one day. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, the radio thing was not so much for the fame or people to know my voice or whatever, but was to connect with people. Now having a podcast, is, there's a lot of people who, who know a lot of, they have a lot of knowledge about topics that I don't necessarily know about. And I'm curious about these topics. And I want to ask questions that maybe someone who's listening might have had, or maybe they didn't have, they didn't even know about that topic, then they get to learn about it. I believe that we converse better uh, when we have a connection, right? Uh, you know, so, yeah, so yeah. and vice versa, yeah. we connect through conversation, right? We can sit next to each other, mm-hmm. but if we're not talking, not much connection, but by talking to each other, we slowly learn and learn from each other and realize, okay, Evan is someone like this. Tara is like this. Uh, you know, this doesn't sit well with them. This sits well on in my culture, this is acceptable, but in their culture, it's not. Let's see what's happening. And then you learn, you realize all the things that you grew up mm-hmm. with thinking they were normal, that in the bigger world, they are not necessarily normal. <laughs> so for me, having the podcast is a, is, a, is a platform to do that, and which is what the radio for me was. My intention, and my intention specifically, to focus on, on things around the relational psychology i'm not a psychologist and i'm i'm using that relational psychology as a term not as a as a it's not a label but how do you relate to yourself when you are by yourself how do you relate to your spouse to your children in a healthy way all those um things like i did a topic on showing up here and for me that came from how the society we are so made to doubt ourselves, we feel we are never good enough, We're waiting for this moment of being perfectly ready and all that, and we never get to do things because they are not good enough for other people. You know, emotional intelligence is a big thing. I'm just touching on this topic so that I can demonstrate to you what my intention is exactly here. Okay. Emotional, emotional intelligence is big. Mm-hmm. It's very big in how we relate to the society around us, to people around us, to the environment around us, and how it's important to be aware. I don't want a textbook definition of things. I want your experience of it. So I'll experience something differently, and you experience something differently, but by you talking about that, I realize, okay, there's a different layer to this. Yeah, like I I was particularly interested in the emotional intelligence topic, mostly because that that actually is a tool of the trade as a pastor. If you're going to be good at you, you have to be able to read a room, whether you're preaching to that room or whether you're just engaging that room in relationship and conversation. They say the more you work on your emotional intelligence, actually it's been proven 
that you you actually tap into your full potential because sometimes you have the good response but the timing is not right and it destroys the whole thing and emotional intelligence focus on all those things as you say you have to read the room you have to to choose how you respond to the environment around you at that time or the environment that you are in at that time hey this has been fun I, uh, I, I, again, I'm, I'm so happy you, you, uh, agreed to kind of join us and talk about and tell us some of your story. Like you've, you got an amazing story. You, you really Thank do. You. And, um, I can hear, I can hear how hard you worked. You, you didn't say this, but I can tell that you have worked hard to get good grades when you were little to working hard to be a doctor to, and, and I, and I know that you are a good doctor. I've, I've, I actually know somebody who's like other doctors could not figure out what was wrong with me. <laughs> and um, that's a testament to your, your desire to not just get good grades, but to learn so that you can make a difference. And that is a testament to who you are. And so I'm grateful to, to have you in mm-hmm. in our lives and your kids and your your wife and like no beast is awesome and the kids are awesome and thanks so much for your yeah, time tonight you. i really appreciate it i uh, thank you so much as well and um yeah it was nice to have this conversation with you thank you so much okay bye 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 Thanks for joining us. We'd love if you take a moment to rate, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, thanks for listening.